Have no fear. Another version of the power rankings are out. And the team that has won 10 in a row is tops in the power ranking. I want to start right now saying, how, how, how the hell can this be? How can a team that only won 10 in a row? I kid. You know the power rankings are just to get you talking, right? This was one of the like strokes of genius by the Ontario Hockey League this season, in my opinion. My name's Mike Farwell. That guy over there is Dan Mahar. And this is the final episode of the OHL podcast this month. I can't believe, Dansky, we're almost into December. Holy Hannah. Yeah, it goes quickly, especially with all the games we're seeing lately. And uh, and yeah, I told you not to worry about Saginaw, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, nothing at all. Everything was going to be fine. We did have one of our uh, listeners email. I think it was Elam a while back wondering if it was time yet to push the panic button. And a good thing they didn't push it in either way by making a trade rashly or perhaps by, you know, parting ways with a coach with which five teams have done already this season. We'll get to that in a moment, but we'll start on something that you kind of alluded to many weeks back, Dan, and you put it in the context of there aren't really any dogs in the league this year. No disrespect to the Brantford Bulldogs and the Niagara Ice Dogs or Wolves, if you're into that sort of thing, but that there wasn't really an easy mark. Teams were really competitive. Now, granted, this was pretty early in the season, but I think your point generally speaking, still stands. I I may be inclined to submit to you today on this podcast that we have achieved a level of parity in the Ontario Hockey League that might not be unprecedented, but gosh, I'm hard-pressed to think of a time in my decades, I was going to say years, I'll be honest and call it decades, covering this league, that I've seen this much parity as we're a third of the way in i don't know yeah i i think unprecedented might be fair of course i'm going off failing memory as well but i i don't remember any year when you look at the bottom of the standings and don't see an easy mark or two and look at the top of the standings and don't see a guaranteed win uh team there's no super powerhouses this year there's no super pushovers this year it seems like a level of parity that is unheard of in junior hockey where it's so cyclical. So that obviously, and we'll, we will reserve the right to revisit this post January 10th and the trade deadline, but, and we've already acknowledged that one team in this league has put together a 10 game winning streak, but you know what, while they were in the midst of that, another team was matching them win for win most of the way when the Kitchener Rangers reeled off eight in a row. And when we think of, the sort of dynastic teams in this league, the, the the big gun, if you will. Everybody thinks of the London Knights, but I think London is the perfect example this week to talk about parity because they go up to Sudbury and get walloped nine to two. It's not so much the lopsided score. It's that the London Knights allowed nine goals. Like you just, from a team that, kind of has a defense first philosophy so that what comes what occurs to me when that happens is wow the, the london knights are capable of surrendering nine in a game on the other hand there's another team the sudbury wolves capable of putting up nine against the knights and then of course one night later what happens the london knights go into Barrie and they hang a nine spot on the colts in a nine three win so if that doesn't tell the story in a nutshell 
I don't know what does. Maybe you want to throw in the Windsor Spitfires who had the league's worst record when they go into Peterborough to play the number one team in the East, a team whose tires we were pumping on this podcast last week. And ho-hum, the Spits just go in there and win. And then they take two of three on that Eastern swing through Peterborough, Kingston, and Ottawa. The only team they lost to was Kingston. So maybe there is something to there being an unprecedented level of parity in the league this year. Yeah, I think so. And on that point about scores, I mean, that just highlights how enigmatic junior hockey players and teams are. You never know what you're getting from one day to the next. And we know how the schedule factors in with back-to-backs and day games after night games. And you name any number of excuses teams have. But when you see scores get run up like that, does it mean Sudbury's seven goals better than London? Obviously not. But on that given day, things get out of hand. The wheels fall off we saw the kitchen rangers roll up 10 or 11 goals on on some pretty decent teams in the last week it happens uh they flip the page and go but it, it it makes it extremely hard to predict what's going on here and you referenced to me the the best example this past week was the one you just mentioned with windsor all kinds of turmoil coaching change players moved out in trades go on a grueling eastern road swing that it's you're lucky to get one win. And if you are, you're probably looking at Kingston for it. What do they do? They rattle off wins in Peterborough and Ottawa. It's enigmatic. I'm glad I'm not a gambler. (laughs) (laughs) So I've been giving this some thought since you and I first started texting about it as an idea. And, you know, look, let's be clear. I think that governors in this league love to see the parody. I think the league itself loves to see the parody i i would guess that fans love to see the parody and by all means let us know ohl podcast at rogers.com tell us if you're seeing parody in the league this year and you like it and of course those three groups would because i guess it gives you the sense that no matter what night you've bought a ticket for you have a at least decent chance of seeing your team win i count myself as a fan of this game first before somebody who works in it. And so I'm not going to try to claim I'm speaking for all media here and certainly not all fans. If I do believe that most fans would like this, but I'm not sure I love it, Dan. I'm really not sure because I like the pursuit of excellence and I like what teams that achieve excellence show us is possible. So again, if we were to use the London Knights as that green and gold standard, you know what you can achieve. Let's hope it's all being achieved within the rules of the game and everybody's doing things above board, this, that, and the other thing. But if you are, well, then everybody should want to be that good. So I get the arguments in favor of parody and support of it, but I'm like, I don't know. I want to see a team out there whose mission it is and and the belief that it is that they're going to win every single time they take the ice. And then when they don't, it's a surprise. And when they do, you're like, now we have to, everybody has to go and reach that bar as opposed to maybe the idea is what we've settled into is just a great big puddle of mediocrity. And damn it, I aim for mediocrity every day, but everybody else can do so much better. Yeah, you know, I I don't necessarily see it totally that way because I I get the point about having the intrigue of a powerhouse team that's achieved excellence and a role model for the rest of the league and, you know, that that black cloud hanging over the league that everyone's got to deal with. I I actually like parity in in the OHL because it's not forced parity, really. It's not false parity. It's teams actually accomplishing something. And I don't know that there's a lot to be said for a team that 
that rolls through the league year over year, but, you know, feeds on 200 and 300 teams half the year uh, in weak divisions and then doesn't really set them up for the playoffs if they come out of the weak division and then face real competition. I like that. The I think for 20 markets, the OHL, it's a great thing if any one of them knows they could win on any given night against any given team. And I don't necessarily think that means that there's no excellent teams, that it's a puddle of mediocrity. And when you look at these standings, there's some really high-end teams. And if you want to win, you, you've got to go earn it. And we saw that this week with a couple teams. We saw, you know, Owen Sound got a little hot. They came into Kitchener on Friday and, and rattled off a win there. We've seen some of these teams overcome giants. We just talked about Windsor. The fact that any market can do that is good for attendance. It's good for fan bases. It's good for it's good for the league in general because more kids coming into the league that are you're trying to recruit to this league, you're happy to report to any one of 20 markets. That's a much better scenario than if they say, well, these 10 we're not going to. So I take the silver lining uh, side of that uh, parity issue, Mike, but I still think there's excellent in this league. It's just excellent's going to have to earn it a little more night to night. I will admit that I have been enjoying the heck out of the first third of this season so far. It's been a fun league. It's always a fun league, but I've really been enjoying it this time around. Okay. Uh, the Windsor Spitfires uh, had no respect. So I think, who did we take off the Christmas card list uh, already this season? Was it the Saginaw Spirit? I think so. So now we're going to take the uh, Windsor Spitfires. Sorry, Bill Bowler, you're not getting a Christmas card from Dan and Mike, because as we were recording last week, <laughs> the Windsor Spitfires made the fifth, the fifth coaching change of this OHL season. Now this one, I can promise you, is unprecedented because we were barely a quarter of the way into the season and a quarter of the league's coaches had been relieved of their duties. Ted Dent first, Greg Walters, then Luca Caputi, Ryan Kuabara, and now Jared Smith. It, it It's kind of mind-blowing, to be honest with you, because usually you would have to go, I, I believe, Dan, over years to find five fired coaches in this league, you know, maybe one in 2018, two in 2019, something like that. But wow, five, one season and barely a quarter of the way into the season. But the fifth one happened while we were recording last week. So now we can at least discuss a little further this real oddity in the league this year. So you want to be a coach, do you, Mike? Do you want to get your uh, resume dusted off? And listen, Good job, security. <laughs> try try doing AM radio for almost 30 years. Not much security over here either. So no, I'm I'm as comfortable or uncomfortable as I want to be. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's funny when you uh, compare that, put this in the context of the last topic we just had on here, where you've got this unprecedented parity in the league where there are no deadbeat teams. Everyone's doing reasonably well, and yet five coaches have been fired you can maybe find cause or reason to to fire one or two by this point in any given season for whatever reason, but a quarter of the league by the end of November, that's, that's a scary trend. And you gotta, I think from a league standpoint, not that they can really do anything about it, but they have to wonder and maybe ask some questions, you know, what is going on and what message are we sending here to prospective coaches that, you know, the leash is this short or what is it that we're not hearing from behind the scenes that is leading to some of these firings that, maybe we need to brush up on or increase training on. But to me, I would say five coach firings by the end of November in a league that has this amount of quality and parity seems a little unfair on the surface. 
So in case you lost track, Ted Dent fired after just two games of the season in Flint. The team was outscored 19-3 in those two games, but still two games. Uh, Paul Flash has come in and gone 11-9-1-1 for the Firebirds since. Next up was Greg Walters and Owen Sound, who was 4-2-1 with the attack. Just got back from a northern road trip, was dismissed. Darren Rumble comes in. He's 8-8-1 since Luca Caputi let go in Kingston with a four and seven record replaced by Troy Mann, who's had almost the mirror opposite seven and five is man as the head man in Kingston. Ryan Kuabara had a three, eight, four and one mark with Niagara. Ben Boudreaux is one and six since coming in. And then the aforementioned Jared Smith four, 16 and one with Windsor, Casey Torres still carrying the interim tag is two and one. We talked about him going through Peterborough, Kingston, Ottawa, and winning in Peterborough and Ottawa. I, I think I think a few things here. Let me share some of the things that I've heard since this happened from former coaches in this league. I'll leave their names out of it, but they've both been fired before. One told me that he was fired exactly midway through the season, at which time he had seven wins with his hockey club. So sure, I guess you can understand seven wins over 34 games. It's not great. His replacement got five the rest of the way. So what is that telling you? Is it perhaps telling you that you can't make a silk purse out of a sow's ear and maybe, just maybe, the roster has something to do with all of this? Another former coach joked with me, and this touches on what you said, but he said, owners must have a whole lot more money than they did in my day. Because when you have a contract, it might not mean you're coaching, but it does mean you're getting paid. So these coaches that have just been fired 20 games into the season are still getting paid for this season and whatever else is left on their contract. And and then more me personally, I do worry about this look for the league and you touched on recruiting when we were talking about parody i mean how do you you know display stability within an organization when these seem to be pretty itchy triggers i don't know or even just the league in general i don't mean to invoke the ohl or chl versus ncaa battle but if you're going to make a pick you're going to go where a coach has been there a long time with a program or are you going to come where five guys got fired in the first 20 games, two months of the season? It, I, I worry about it a little bit from that perspective is all. Oh, I do too, for sure. I, I When you talk about whether or not you want to go to a city and you look at the experience you're going to have, to me, the coach has to be the first on that list. Does he not have criteria? You, that's the most influential aspect of your experience in the junior hockey career is training and development you're going to get and the guidance you're going to get from that coach and the ice time you're going to get from that coach everything else i think would come secondary i mean sure the facilities the crowds you name it those things are all important but to me coach is number one and if you can't stand behind that number one criteria you can't tell or accrue for your tenure this is going to be the person i don't know how your recruiting game uh, survives against the NCAA where you have a lot of these long-term long tenured guys. I also don't know how you attract those coaches here. If you want your league to be the prime coaching league, the prime breeding grounds for coaches, 
I don't know if I'm a coach and I have an offer from the Ontario Hockey League right now or an NCAA Tier One school. What am I picking? I don't know. I'm I'm looking for stability for myself and my family. And and if you're actively making coaches think twice about coming here, pushing them away, that's not not just not a good look. I don't think that's going to have good long term impacts on your league. You know, just when you're talking about long tenured coaches with programs, I'm thinking NCAA, and I confess. I don't follow it very much at all. Hockey, football, basketball. I don't follow college sports a lot, but there was uh, a football coach and somebody will jump on me right away and say, this was the guy, I can't remember who it was, but he does a weekly radio call-in show and some kid that called in and wondered how he justified his salary based on the team's record. The coach just went off on this kid. And and the thing is, like, you're not going to win every year. You're not going to win every game the body of work for this coach is actually really impressive. And he basically spelled out his resume on the air. And he's like, I'm not going to have some punk kid living in his parents' basement, call this show and tell me, you know, blah, blah, blah. But the reality is, and we've said it how many times, Dan, coaches are hired to be fired. But it's it's a real curious thing. Again, when you think of the body of work here, Ted Dent, until his firing in Flint, was the most successful coach in franchise history for what it's worth. Yeah, and and you know what? Ted Dent did not deal with an easy situation when he was there. He had a lot of, we'll we'll call them abnormal situations, abnormal things going on. And when you're dealing with that, put yourself in the coach's shoes. It's not just, I've got to get these numbers out of this team on the ice. It's, I've got to keep the parents happy. I've got to keep the family advisors slash agents happy. I've got to keep the kids going. I've got to keep all of these people at bay. And when you have all this turmoil... Who do you think the parents are coming to? They're coming to you. You know, this is a problem. My kid's not, this isn't happening for my kid. Uh, uh, demanding trades. You're getting, you're getting all this noise around the periphery you're dealing with. And I, and yeah, so when you talk about a guy like Ted Dent, I'm not sure anyone dealt with more noise and dealt with it quite admirably. Like Flint was a respectable team under Ted Dent for a while. So who knows what went on there, but I just, I, I don't quite understand it, Mike. We talk an awful lot about the Ontario Hockey League, and rightly so, as being a development league. And it's not just a development league for players, we've pointed out. It's a development league for officials who might want to go to the next level. It's a development league for coaches who might want to go to the next level. But you got me thinking, Dan, in our back and forth texts, that maybe in this country, we need we need to take a look at how we're developing coaches, period, even before they get to this level. Oh, for sure. I'm... I think if you look at, at ho- hockey in Canada in general, I think you can identify two soft spots, really. And that's coaching development. You can look at the NHL, an awful lot of uh, coaches not being bred through the junior loops right now, and goaltending. Now, we're, we're seeing, a, I think, a banner year in the OHL for goaltending this year. So hopefully that tide's turning with a lot of the great goaltending schools we have, Matt Smith. <clears throat> But you've got on the coaching side, there's really nothing. I mean, you have the program of excellence, but as we know, when you go through the program of excellence, it's kind of sanitized for one thing in terms of the outlook and the scope, but you also have to be sponsored to go through that to the higher levels by an organization with some dollars and whatnot. So it ends up being a fairly limited stream of people that, that can go through that program. There's other than calling up your buddy who's coaching down the road or, or using your brethren to, as a sounding board, I'm not sure what training coaches are getting other than on the job training as assistant coaches, 
where you're working for one person who has one outlook, who has one background. I'm with you, Mike. I think maybe some deeper dive diving needs to be done into, into how coaches are trained, their philosophies, how those are built, um, something to help them along the way, because I'm not sure that a lot of these coaches we're seeing now have the tools, have the resources when things aren't going well, and then they just spiral and they get fired and rinse and repeat. And if you were to hand out the coach of the year award in the Ontario hockey league today, who would you be handing it to? For me, hands down, without a doubt, and call me a homer all you want, but it's the guy from Finland. It's UC Hocus. It's it, he, the transformation he's had with that team. And, and I think I know what you're driving out here, Mike, and it's right on the money. You have a coach that came from Europe, not a Canadian bred coach. And he flipped a roster that was supposed to be worse, a roster that lost its number one line, lost basically its top pairing, supposed to take a major step back and has most of these same players who are depth players playing lights out, all of them. So that's coaching. That's getting a whole team on board. That's getting a whole system implemented where it doesn't matter who you put on the ice. They're all doing the same things. They're all succeeding. So if a coach can come in with one training camp and do that with the roster, have that kind of transformation, what are they learning in Europe? What is he, what's in his background of development that is not happening here? You are not going to get an argument from me on any of those points. And, you know, you and I used to go back and forth on this quite a bit. I used to be a guy that was a lot more dismissive than I am today about the impact of coaching. Going back to the example that I shared, the friend shared with me, the former coach, he got seven wins out of the team in 34 games. His replacement got five at some point. You got to look at the roster. Like you're not the one out there on the power play. You're not the one out there stopping pucks, et cetera. And, and I was pretty dismissive of the impact a coach can have. I've definitely uh, evolved that line of thinking. And now, especially based on what we're seeing firsthand in Kitchener, what we've seen, we talked about it earlier this season already when Dale Hunter got to his 908th win. And we know it's just going to keep going from there. Uh, you can see the marks of a good coach pretty easily if you know what to look for. Oh, 100%, Mike. And you know, I've been on this bandwagon for years. I, I think coaching is huge. I think it's the number one factor. And you hear these things about how coaches have shelf lives, and that may be true, but there's two aspects of coaching. Understanding the tactics and how to address certain situations. And I, in that, I include adapting to in-game situations and in-season situations as, as teams adjust to you figuring out what you need to do tactically differently to counterbalance. So having that tactical knowledge and, and the nuts and bolts of coaching is one aspect. The other aspect is you can have all that from column one, but if you can't communicate it and get your players to execute it, this part's useless. So you need two pretty distinct and complex skill sets to be a really effective coach. And the communication piece for you to have any longevity means you have to be able to adapt there too because after you've been there for a year or two and the players start tuning you out oh yeah i've heard this oh yeah I've done. you have to be able to change that message a little it's actually very complex we're asking these coaches to be very adept at a lot of things that most humans are not very adept at so it's it's a it's a tough job but i i will go to the grave on that one mike coaching is extremely important even in my mediocre playing career i lived through enough coaches to tell you there's a huge spectrum out there they all think they know the game really well, but there are some on the very bottom end of that spectrum and there's some on the very top. And there's a whole lot in the middle and it's a huge factor. 
I just remembered why we took Saginaw off the Christmas card list because Dave Drinkle made a trade a day after we had recorded and then Bill Bowler makes the coaching change as we were recording last week. Uh, only 18 Chris only 18 stamps to buy. Whew, with my AM radio salary, it's going to be a good Christmas in the Farwell household. Okay, we still have to talk about the best player in the Ontario Hockey League this as of this moment plus speaking of good players those world junior invites have got to be going out pretty soon don't they one of our listeners from kingston wants to celebrate the fourth line grinders and our prospects of the week all of that still to come on this episode of the ohl podcast hi i'm emily roger And I host a leadership show called The Boiling Point with my co-host, Dave Vail. Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world. The show is all about exploring the lives and perspectives of leaders who are making a difference. Join us for insightful conversations that challenge the status quo, spark new ideas, and inspire you to take action. Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. Okay, Dan, I hold you personally responsible for this because you threw it over to me in a text message and now I'm annoyed. I'm annoyed a little bit with you and mostly with me because I have, I think I've lost sleep over this. I had a lot of time. I had a lot of bus time this weekend. I didn't sleep a wink because I've been racking my brain and racking my brain on the answer to this question. So I'm going to make you start because it was your idea, you dumb dumb. Uh, and if you want to weigh in, tell us how right or wrong we are or give us your own suggestion. OHL podcast at rogers.com. Dan Mahar, who is the best player in the Ontario Hockey League as of this moment? You know, everything you just said applies to me too, so I (laughs) might as well beat my own head against the wall because this isn't such a hard question to answer. There are so many candidates, but Mike, again, I'm going to call this my Homer episode. I don't know how I can't go with Carson Rakoff so far. I just think, Obviously, the points are there. The, the NHL shot danger from anywhere, added a lot of passing and defensive acumen to his game this year. I just see uh, the opposing teams having all kinds of trouble dealing with him this year. And that's, to me, that's the mark of a player that's just a little bit ahead of the league right now. And I, I mean, I, I probably bandied about seven or eight names here, Mike, but before I go through any of the other ones, I'll, I'll toss it over to you. But I kept coming back to, I don't know how I can go against Raycock right now. Well, this is one of the reasons this whole thing pissed me off so much because again, I clearly would have a bias, but on the other hand, recognize that I have watched this guy for 25 games now, 60 minutes a night 
25 games in this season so far. And the biggest thing for me, Dan, is how it's, I won't say a full 180, but boy, oh boy, has he improved his game from last year. He came into this league with an NHL-ready shot. He's got the size that you'll like. He's got the skating, but he's he's just putting it all together. And And the amount of time this guy spends inside his own blue line now, back-checking and back-checking effectively, is quite frankly remarkable, especially based on the Carson Rakoff we saw the first two seasons where defense definitely wasn't a huge priority. So I don't think, quite frankly, there's any arguing this. But I'll remind you, if you would like to argue it, our email address is ohlpodcast at rogers.com. For the pure sport of it, and because I'll let you be the homer, I'll remind you that I picked Colby Barlow to win the scoring title this year. Hey, Colby, get off the shelf and start scoring some goals, if you don't mind too much. And I decided to try my best to make a case for David Goyette. By the way, if you're a Seattle Kraken fan, Carson Rakoff is also a Seattle Kraken prospect, but Goyette already signed. He's led the Wolves in scoring in every one of his seasons. So Carson Rakoff can't boast that in Kitchener. There's an element of consistency there for Goyette, obviously. He's on the World Junior Hockey Team Canada radar for sure. He's already signed to his contract. So he's got another year on Rakoff. So you'd think, you know, you're expecting these things from Goyette, but maybe a little bit more of a supporting cast for him in Sudbury too. He's always had this musty kid nearby, but that's the best I can do for a secondary choice here to try to make an argument that is not named Carson Rakoff. Yeah. And that's same with me, Mike, all my other options were kind of pale imitations, I guess, if you will. And not, not take anything away from them. I bandied about names like Zane Preck. I named, uh, dark horse name for most important was Ryerson Leanders I had on my on my list there but then I looked at Jack Ivan Kovic comes in and does almost as well so that's just a good team there's a lot of candidates on Mississauga right now for what they're doing so yeah I, I, every time I thought about it I, I just I could not come up with a salient argument for anyone to place above Carson Rakoff right now I actually thought of Ivan Kovic even above Leanders just for the sport of it and you talk about those candidates in Mississauga who absolutely would get some consideration, but I thought, okay, you got to show me a little bit more. This is Rakoff's third season, et cetera. Nonetheless, we're going unanimously. It's a jury of two, mind you, but with Carson Rakoff as the best player in the Ontario hockey league at this moment, OHL podcast at rogers.com. If you'd like to share your thoughts on that. Speaking of which this one comes from Charlie in Kingston, Bless your heart. 32-year supporter of the Kingston Frontenacs. Attaboy, Charlie. Good afternoon, gentlemen. We always give praise to the top two lines. But how about those fourth-line guys that don't see the ice but still give everything they've got out there? Bang away. Sometimes get a goal or an assist. I want to shine the light on former Frontenac and current Owen Sound attack, Jackson Stewart, returning from suspension and scoring his first OHL hat trick in a five-point game versus Windsor. Hang on a second. I thought Jackson Stewart was like a hired thug or something. Didn't he get suspended for having a fight with another big guy? Yeah. Anyway, uh, I could not be prouder, Charlie writes, of how this kid works. He's a polite young man, and when put in the situation, good things happen. Kind of like, and here's a throwback name for you, Charlie Soro. 
a third and fourth line player from Kingston back in the day, traded to Sarnia. And what did he do in Sarnia? That's right, a 108-point season and a scoring championship. Anyways, Charlie finishes. I love the fourth line guys. Is there one recent fourth line guy that stands out to you? It can be for any reason and any team. Charlie, really appreciate the email. I'll say this about Soro. Isn't that kind of the way we want to see it go, Dan? You come into this league, you start on the fourth line, you learn how it goes, you figure things out, and as time goes on, up the line, up you go, and next thing you know, you're leading the league in scoring. I think, my bias coming back into play here, but Greg Morellis and Riley Damiani were tremendous examples of that, right? Came in, played the third line checking or fourth line roles, and then by the end of their OHL career, they were co-captains in Kitchener. Yeah, for sure. And that's kind of the natural progression. You think about Mike, like I look at a, a current example, a guy like Anthony Romani in North Bay, who, you know, you get a high-end guy, going to start lower down in the lineup, learn the game a little behind the vets, then move up and look at him this year, top five in scoring. So that's kind of the natural progression of those higher-end picks. When you look at the composition of fourth lines, though, in the OHL, oftentimes that's the model. 16, 17-year-olds playing a few minutes a night, move up the lineup, but you know they've got a lot of upside. Sometimes the most impactful fourth lines are are the guys that know they weren't going to be top six scorers in this league, commit to a role, become great penalty killers, and just dig, grind it out. So sometimes your most effective fourth lines are the ones that have veterans back there. Not as common, but they'll have 18 or 19-year-olds. And I might as well lean into the homerism this, this week, Mike, on the podcast, because one that jumps to my mind is uh, Matt Grenier. You'll remember from his days in, in Kitchener, as a, a veteran player, 19-year-old player in the league, leaned into the fourth-line center role and just, you know, could skate like the wind. You get that kind of effort, those kind of minutes out of a fourth line, you're going to be a contender, which they were in his tenure. So you've got different models for the fourth lines. I think the progression you just mentioned is probably the most common model, but you can they come in all shapes and sizes. And I do remember Soro in the uh, laid it on the line every night, and that's what you want from your fourth line. Grenier is a great throwback example, and I'm going to keep it not just close to home, but right here at home because, you know, Charlie asks about a recent fourth line story that stands out to you or player. And I mean, I hope the whole league knows about this by now. And I'm talking about Antonino Pugliese for the Kitchener Rangers, who had four career goals coming into this season. Four career. Now, he had an injury shortened season a year ago where he scored none, but he's just coming off a four goal night, a four goal night to double his season output to eight. But again, a four goal night. And to make the story even better, this kid has a younger brother who is a cancer survivor. And he got the surprise of his life because he didn't know the team was doing this. And they made this t-shirt that says pug life. Yes, the pun intended, Pugliese, P-U-G, the first three letters of his last name, nicknamed Pug or Puggy, Pug Life t-shirts, which are raising money for a children's cancer center. I mean, come on with your coming on. It's a fantastic story, but all you need to know, four career goals coming into the season, a four-goal night for a kid that works his tail off for you. Yeah, and there's a case in point, right, of a 19-year-old player on the fourth line who little stronger, a little more mature, uh, 
got his dietary habits down, his conditioning habits down. So you're, you know, some take a little longer, some maybe didn't have the skill to be a top six player. But when you have a 19 year old guy like that, that can roll out in your fourth line, you often look at the standings and yeah, checks out, right? You've got that kind of ability, effort, experience, maturity on a fourth line. It's hard to compete with when other teams want to roll out their 16, 17 year olds for those shifts. So to Jackson Stewart, to Antonino Pugliese, and to all the other fourth line underappreciated, under-celebrated players in this league, keep it up. Because I know the fans for sure in Kitchener love it. It's a blue-collar town, and they love their penalty killers, and they love their fourth line grinders, and I'm sure we're not unique in that. So keep up the great work on those fourth lines. What is a fourth line anyway? There's three, There's four forward lines, right? Just next up, next up next up and off they go all right uh next up for us on this podcast we are at the time where we will talk about oh i wanted to throw this in sorry i just looked down at my notes uh i i alluded to it before the break and that is with high-end players in this league we're we're getting on that time i, I suspect in fact some know already uh whether they will be invited to play for their country or even make it to a selection camp process of any kind look I just want to I want to say this and and I'll share it with an experience in in my professional life where I uh, I years ago my, it was my first job actually my first full time radio job and I had just a disastrous shift I screwed things up left right and center and I actually called my boss after the shift I'm like I was awful today can we meet before the show tomorrow and all this different stuff and when I met him the next day he said he knew. I had had a bad shift and I'm like, well, why didn't you, why didn't you call me and and like, give me a pep talk or talk me through it or something like that. He says, I'm never going to call somebody whose job it is to perform either during their shift or just before their shift. I want you to be in the best headspace that you can be. I've never forgotten that. And I spent some time in management too. And I never gave feedback. Well, I shouldn't say feed, negative feedback prior to a shift or definitely during a shift, unless it was something glaring that I had to pull somebody off the air, which hasn't happened to me. My point in all of this is I know that USA Hockey and Hockey Canada and all of these hockey federations have an entire Canadian Hockey League to consider. So it might always be a game day. I don't know. But maybe, like, look, leagues figure out schedules and arena availabilities. Can you can you spend some time, like, legitimately? I, I'm begging you executives with these various hockey organizations just spend some time try to figure out like you, you only have so many players to look at what's their schedule like that week could you find a little soft spot in the schedule so that you're not gonna let them know on game day that they're gonna be rejected or you're not they're not on your rate something like that like maybe you just want to consider something like that just so these players with their home clubs can keep their heads in the game. And that probably goes, even if you're going to give them the good news, let them focus on their club teams for now and try to find a soft spot. That's all I'm going to throw out there. I really hope folks can uh, take that to heart. Just something I learned in my career. And and maybe you could adopt it if you're some kind of uh, executive with some kind of hockey organization. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Well, these are teenagers after all, and the psychology is fragile and no matter how good these players are. And it made, it reminded me of the, remember the cringe where the uh, cuts from team Canada, Mike, that used to happen cameras outside their hotel room door. The second they got cut, they had to walk these 19 year olds had to walk out and face 
adult media asking them how they felt about being cut <laughs> from their dream. So yeah, that's yeah, have put put a little thought and courtesy behind how you do these things, maybe. All right. Uh, for us, we will uh, provide you the courtesy of our prospects of the week before we sign off, as we always do. Dan, who's on your radar this week? All right. Well, I'm not, I'm not going to go too far off the beaten path this week, Mike, because uh, I love these guys that in dark situations step up, put the team on their back. And I, I had to go with Liam Greentree again this week. I know he's been a favorite of the favorite of yours, favorite of our podcast. But uh, like we said, there were tough times in Windsor. Coaching change, few moves, went on a grueling road swing. So what does he do? Steps up, puts team on his back. And the third game of those three in a rink that's very hard to win in, four points, leads the Windsor Spitfires to two of those three wins on the weekend. 34 points, tied for fourth in the league in scoring as a 17-year-old. Yeah, I, I, I had to go second week in a row down to Windsor, Mike. Who you got? Yeah, I'm a big Green Tree fan here, Dan. And I think I mentioned we had been in Windsor in what turned out to be Jared Smith's last game because the Rangers obviously played there. And I noticed at the end of the game, Green Tree, Cole Davis stayed out on the ice a little bit longer, having a little chat amongst themselves. But I, I couldn't help but notice Green Tree this week. And I'll, I'll shout out another not prospect, but player in Windsor. I had a chance to chat that weekend too with Roberto Mancini, who had just been acquired from Saginaw. So here's a guy going from Memorial Cup host to dead last. And boy, I, I can't remember the last time I was so impressed in a conversation with a young man. This guy's obviously, and he admitted in the interview, he's he's playing for a contract. He wants somebody to notice him and maybe get a pro deal somewhere. I think this guy will find something uh, at, at some point. And maybe he'll go to school first, and that's great, I think, says the old man here. But nonetheless, I was just really impressed impressed with his poise but I, I was watching green tree all weekend too and he's a great story i i didn't go in that direction because i thought well maybe you might and i've already given him one of my prospects of the week uh i'm going to look up to the bay shore and and for more than one reason here so carter george is my obvious selection here because the numbers just you can't you can't ignore two shutouts in his past four starts guy's got a save percentage of 955 and a goals against of 1.75 the the loss to North Bay that snapped their winning streak, notwithstanding, Carter George has been basically everything. And and the secondary part of that is having watched Owen Sound this past weekend, Corbin Votary put on a hell of a show as well. And I I think we sometimes underappreciate how well one player or one goalie is playing and how that can elevate others in that position or others on the team. And and Dare I say that Corbin Votary saw what Carter George was doing as this team got on its run and thought, well, I better hold up my end of the bargain too. And damn it, did he ever. So Carter George gets my nod for the prospect of the week. Yeah, great call there, Mike. Can we just reference the World Juniors? Uh, Carter George might not get that phone call this year, but he's going to get a phone call from Team Canada before he's done with Junior. There's no question about that. Okay, as we leave you, uh, looking ahead to the feature interview on Friday, I can't believe how lucky I've been with this because we're going to go back to that 1990 Memorial Cup champion Oshawa Generals team. The interesting thing about this particular guest is he was a rookie on that team, so he didn't get to play in the playoffs. They were obviously deep, but he was there. I talked to a couple of his former teammates ahead of time, and they said this is one of the guys that you just loved having on your team. He claims – now. I got to get Eric Lindros on the podcast to to confirm this, but he claims you can even ask the Lindros family 
And our guest on Friday says he made Eric Lindros the player that he was. I'll leave that for you to determine. I will try to confirm it myself with Eric Lindros, but this is a big man. A big man doesn't have the same hands as Eric Lindros, but did put up uh, more than 260 penalty minutes in a pro season thereafter, got inducted into the Sports Hall of Fame in that season where he played most of his pro in the East Coast League. And there's just so much more. He's got a, a really interesting little bit uh, traumatic past that he owns up to. And he tells a whale of a story. So the big man that didn't get to play because he was a rookie, but then became a force with the Oshawa Generals and many years in pro will join us for our feature interview on Friday. Outstanding. Looking forward to that one again. I don't know if you can top last week, but we'll give it a shot. shot yeah. Again. Oh my gosh. Uh, we had a lot of really good time with Don Edwards and some great stories, but yeah, this next guy up, uh, if you like hearing stories, you know, from in the trenches, this guy's got him for you. That guy over there is Dan Mahar. You'll find him on Twitter at Dan Mahar. I'm Mike Farwell at Farwell underscore OHL. Send us an email anytime. OHL podcast at rogers.com. Give us a like, subscribe, leave a review. Tell a friend about the OHL podcast. Your next episode is coming out on Friday. Do, did, will. The Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.